0: welcome to episode eight of one cardinal one cup and one beer and welcome to receding hairline night as you can see i'm not wearing a hat uh, yeah, that's another flaw you of... can see is that my glasses are not on my ears because if i drop them on my ears there's a big blare so that's something i learned in photography uh, so you see that i'm not the perfect human being you thought i was so jj how you doing
1: Doing great. Having a blast. It's been a, I'll tell you what, uh, on the Cardinal front, um, Arenado's staying. Huh? That's good news. I've never heard opt in. I always heard opt out. I heard the you have an opt out clause. You can opt out. Most people opt out. He opted in. And that's great. I don't know what him and Mo talked about, but uh, he must have liked what he heard. So I'm excited to see what happens. Mo says they're going to spend some more money. And for both the Cardinals and the Cubs this week, the Golden the Gold Gloves came out. Yes. And congratulations on uh your player. We had uh Arenado, which don't want to sound braggadocious, but kind of knew that was gonna happen. His tenth. And then we had the utility player, Brendan Donovan got his very first uh gold gloves. So way to go, Cardinals, and I'll let you talk about uh your man on your side. I
0: I thought Happen's gonna win. Of all the left fielders I've seen, he was easily the best this year, and his metrics showed that he was far and away the best left fielder in the National League, so it didn't surprise me any. I'm very happy for him. He's had a uh, long climb to get to where he has. He is now. He started with such a hot rookie year. I think he had like 24 home runs, and They expected a lot out of him to be the leadoff hitter. It didn't work out to be the leadoff hitter. Uh, He was sent down at one time. It's just been a rough, choppy first four years of his major league career. And this year, they just said, you're going out to left field every day and just do what you do because you always saw the ingredients there. that This is a special ball player. You just never saw it come together. So you look at his raw numbers, the what we call the back of the baseball card numbers, and they're nothing, you know, especially. He didn't hit 20 home runs this year. He didn't drive in 100. Uh, but when you look at, you know, like OPS and uh, some of the other metrics, he, he's he's a very good player. Uh, his WAR is really good. I, I can't remember it off the uh, top of my head. But this uh, defensive uh, leap forward, uh, I didn't see this coming. So I'm, I'm, but I, I, he was deserving and I'm very happy. So good job, Ian Happ. Before we go any further, I, I do want to remember to say this. Um, I put a few videos in the comments of the YouTube channel. So if you have not, we talked about Albert Bosky last week, not seen some of his antics, you know, go look at that. Um, I put uh, a few weeks ago, I put a Dave Kingman commercial because he actually did a seven up commercial. Uh, (laughs) So you you can view those and they're also going to be on our Facebook, our Twitter, uh, Twitter, Twitter. But I I do want to implore you at the uh, bottom right of the screen, for those of you who are watching on Mac, PC, on your phone, uh, you'll see the uh, emblem, and I should have an arrow pointing to it. Uh, Just click that, subscribe to our page, and then spread the word, spread the gospel of one Cardinal, one Cub, and one beer. So I got the commercial thing out of the way. Um, What did you think about Donovan winning as a utility player? I actually thought... Tommy
1: Edmond was going to win it because I thought he played much better. I saw the metrics on him. MLB channel was talking about, he should be the front runner, but I think it kind of hurt him being eligible at two positions. You know what I mean? I think it kind of split because he, he was up for second base. And I didn't think he'd get that, but I thought he'd get the utility player and he played a lot of positions too. Um, so I was a little surprised. I'm glad a Cardinal won it. It's great for, uh, for his uh i think he's the he's the only cardinal rookie to win a gold glove of course they had to make a special category for him to get that gold glove but we'll take it we'll take it nonetheless but that was a little surprise right there i got a question for you uh vince and i don't know this is kind of how i feel with the leagues having the same d all have a dh they have the same rules now they're playing a same schedule they're going to play a, a level schedule next year should there be a two mvps two cy youngs all these different gold gloves i know they will because there's money involved in contracts and it always goes you just follow the money but really it's it's just one big league now with just divisions and um I don't know. Before you know, you know uh, Gibson would only face McCovey and these guys, and the American League guys never saw those guys. But now everybody's on an even playing field. I always heard too that umpires used to call in the American League a higher strike than in the National League. I don't know that to be a fact, but uh, what do you think about that? With the uh, with them all playing the same schedule pretty much now,
0: I I like. I didn't think I would like interleague play when it first. I don't know, Twenty-five years ago, when when it, when it first came up, but then when I saw the Cubs and the White Sox play, I thought, "Yeah, I I That's can handle special. this." I liked how they did it, to where you would rotate, like you would only play the American League East teams one year, the next year you do the Central, and the next year the you know, they, they kind of rotated things. I don't like the balanced schedule because it is one big league now. And you're right, because of money, they're going to, you know, the players union is not going to say, OK, you know, we're, we're only going to do one MVP and one Cy Young. I'll say, no way. You know, <laughs> uh, we have a lot of contracts with incentives in it. And this uh, gives people a much better chance of winning something and getting some money. Speaking of getting some money, let me parenthetically say that after I won the one point two billion tonight, I will still continue to do the podcast. I don't want you to think I'm going to big time anything. <laughs> um, and I don't even play the lottery until it hits a billion because is it even worth the effort to go out and get the ticket if it's only $900 billion? No. That. Yeah. So anyway, uh, back on topic. I like uh, the interleague play to be just kind of a sampling because it it was special, you know, every three years, you would see like Ken Griffey Jr. come to town or, you know, Mike Trout or or something like that. Now it's, we're just going to play everybody. We're going to play the, the way I understand it, we're going to play the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland athletics as many times as we play the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh man. I know. I don't like that. It doesn't sound riveting to me. Mm -hmm. No. Although I do I do like watching Oakland games because there's there's not a big crowd, but man, they have a lot of fun. You know, they got the drum going out there and oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun to watch the uh the A's play. Yeah. In other Cubs news, uh we fired our hitting coach, Greg Brown. We play, replaced him with Dustin Kelly. Uh the reason we did this was because the team was a league bottom two thirty. Hitting team with runners in scoring positions. I alluded to this last week. Maybe I just outright said it. I don't remember. Hitting coaches, it's it's the whipping boy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: First of all, there are many players who don't even listen to the hitting coach. Who was, was it Colby Rasmus that only listened to his dad? He wouldn't, was a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons they got rid of him was because he kept going to his dad. His dad was a sitting coach. And I think there are hitting coaches that from from yesteryear uh, who, uh, oh, gosh, uh, Mike Easler, for example. Uh, Charlie Lau. Charlie Lau used to work with Brett. And yeah. Ogs. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about players who played oh. in the 70s and 80s who then coached into the sabermetrics time okay who didn't quite fit in and because now you really don't need a hitting coach you just need an analyst to say you need to swing this way to get better launch angles so on and so forth and strike out 200 times because we don't care because you're going to run into 30 home runs that's the philosophy now so i don't think the 230 batting average with runners in scoring position was the hitting coach's fault. I think it was more or less we didn't have a whole lot of talent uh, when it came to hitting. I mean, we had a good season, especially the second half, but it was it was all pitching. you know. So, so we just don't have great hitters. And when you don't have great hitters, the hitting coach sucks. You have great hitters. The hitting coach is great. But you brought up Charlie Lau, who's my favorite hitting coach of all time.
1: Me too. Um, I
0: actually got the book when I was a kid. The I think it was called The Art of Hitting 300. And it had a little flip thing where you could watch George Brett. Like, it was oh, kind yeah. of a cool book.
1: Like a movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and he got fired because he was accused of being, you know, y- you don't teach players to hit for extra bases and home runs. Because this whole thing was you, you're going up the middle. That's your swing. Go up the middle. But when you look at some of his proteges, Brett hit 30 home runs a few times. Um, Hal McCray had some power. It wasn't Al Cowens who was a journeyman. One year was second in MVP for the Royals, and that's because Charlie Lau really got a hold of him for a year, and Charlie Lau's. Uh, um, successor, uh, Walt Reniac, who, who was the hitting coach for the White Sox for a while uh, and a, another few teams. After Reniac left, there's nobody who's doing that philosophy anymore, that Charlie Lau hit through the ball, go up the middle, um, perfect balance. And that was a hitting coach to me. And oh, yeah. What you got now is just Grip and People rip who's going to get fired.
1: So.
0: <laughs> what, what's, your, uh, what's your take on hitting coaches?
1: Um, I there, Remember in the old days, there weren't that many coaches. Now there's bullpen coaches, um, bench coach. You always had your first base, third base. And there was always a pitching coach and a hitting coach, but now there's so many coaches. And a lot of times teams have two hitting coaches. I guess yeah. you two, two guys. Uh, I know John Maybury used to be with the Cardinals. I know he was out in Kansas City with Matheny as a hitting coach, but I think they had two hitting coaches even then. So with all the video and everything, I know they talk about their strategies and how they're going to attack each pitcher and things like that. But uh, I do think, man, they've went heavy on the hitting on the coaches at all. You know, back in the old days, it seemed like they did just fine with four, but now with all the videotape and there's video, there's people who have jobs just uh, who do the video, part of it of it and make pretty good money and actually that's the job to get into because nobody ever blames you for all your the knowledge you bring to them it's always the final result yeah so, so hit, uh, hitting coaches is just a tough spot but i would hear cardinal fans when i would talk to them say they got to get rid of that hitting coach i said mm, is he that bad and they said well he's cheap i mean they always they had so much, things they didn't even know they were complaining i you know, you know they got him because they didn't want to pay for a real coach or anything like that so I don't know how they had to do that, but that was the one guy they always would blame was the hitting coach because it seemed like the Cardinals struck out a lot. Uh, we didn't come up big with two two outs, but I looked at the stats and we were in the top half in a lot of those statistics, you know, but people just went to a game or watch them on TV and you can't, you know, you're only successful. You're very good if you only are successful 30% of the time. And I just think they, you know, at the end of the game, if you don't come through with a hit, oh, it's a darn hitting coach, you know.
0: That's how okay. I feel about them. That's a tough Scapegoat. job. Yeah. Scapegoat. Scapegoat, yeah. By the way, uh, I do want to mention you are sporting a very nice Brockabella.
1: Oh, thank you. This old thing right here? Oh, yeah. I thought I'd bring it out of the closet. Uh, for all you Lou Brock fans, this is a 70s item. It was called the Brockabella, and it came in like a little batting sleeve, and it had a picture of Lou taking pictures in the Bracabella. And I thought I was the coolest thing in the neighborhood. I'd be out mowing the grass. Hey, hey. <laughs> oh, man. But I thought I'd show this. This is an actual thing in the 70s. They had the Lubrock umbrella, the Bracabella. And if you were really good, you had the Lubrock soda, the pop. I don't know if you remember that. I oh, do not. It was Was terrible. it any good? No, it was like cotton candy, real sugary kind of a cotton candy. I'm going to find a can of it and bring it on here one day, but thank you. And I also want to say this. We have the best listeners. I've always said, Vince. every time I talk to you, we got the best (laughs) listeners. I always say that this week. I got a few items and I'm not out there trolling for people to send stuff, but uh, a listener who loves the show knew I I, there's uh, (laughs) the Cardinals giveaway garden gnomes kind of thought it was a dumb thing. And I ended up getting a few of them and I found out from a, a real uh, guy who uh, deals with memorabilia that there's four of them and my good friend Tony Pruno got me the Whitey Herzog Garden Gnome so I have all four of them now uh, so thank you out there you don't have to send anything to me and Vince but if uh, people at Chrysler are listening we, uh, we really like to drive the Chrysler car
0: <laughs> <laughs> I made a mistake last week and I do want to correct it I brought up Walter Neck Williams, and I said that he played for the Phillies, and I was thinking about another player. Oh. He played for Houston, the White Sox, the Indians, and the Yankees, had a 10-year career, and I do have a picture of him on our Twitter and on our Facebook, and I, I don't know if I put him in the comments of the um, YouTube page, the YouTube channel, but I did a little digging, because he does have an odd appearance. I showed him to my wife. I was like, whoa. <laughs> His odd physical appearance was the result of a typhus injection he received as a baby. True oh, story. I did not
1: know His
0: that. hometown was hit with a flood. And so the government came by and gave typhus injections to prevent the, stre- the spread of the disease. As a baby, he was so muscular but they couldn't reach a vein except in the back of his neck because of this injection he got as a baby to get to a vein in the back of his neck. He developed a crick in his neck, which then stiffened and shrank his neck. That's why his head is sitting right there. And that's the nickname, no neck Williams.
1: And and, and that picture did him justice. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now I see it. Now I see it. I did not know that guy before though.
0: Walter has recently passed away. I think it was 2020. He's passed mm. away. Um, he has a grandson who played in the played or plays in the NFL, I believe. He's got a lot of athletes in his family. So the fascinating character. Yes. Well, what do you think of the World Series so far?
1: I'm loving it. I'm loving it. The Phillies are just as we speak right now. We're going into game four. We had a rain out the other night. So it got Which pushed back.
0: Benefiting the Phillies. It,
1: it, it looks it look so, but well, sometimes when you're going good, you don't want a day off. But you want your guys to get rest because they're, I mean, I'm they're going for it. I mean, this time of year, you ain't got nothing to hold back. Go for it. Um, it's been great. Now, we're gonna talk later about. A Cardinal team, but this reminds me of that 64 year we the Cardinals and the Yankees played. Um, it, you know, we start in St. Louis, they start in Houston. Um, uh, the Phillies won game one, they came back. Um, and you know, uh, Houston's hitting the Phillies aces, they're hitting them. Uh, the first game, you know, you get in a spot where your great players, the 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 hall of the future Hall of Fame players. I don't know if you give him a little more time, but uh, they left Verlander in a little too long. As we're playing Monday day quarterback, looking back, but they gave him more time because he's Justin Verlander, and the Phillies came back. But in game two, they jumped out five to nothing, and they went to the bullpen. You know, uh, so they split. They go to Philadelphia, and I'm telling you what—that is a wild crowd. Uh, That—that's uh, intimidating as another player. That crowd. Uh, And they just came out and pulverized with what five home runs? Five Astros.
0: When I saw that Game Three was going to be started by Noah Syndergaard, who is no longer Thor, he's not even Loki. He (laughs) is a very average pitcher now, and that was going to be a bullpen game for Philadelphia because Suarez was not ready to go. So. It looked really good for Houston going into Philadelphia. That rain out allowed them to reset their, their staff. Suarez pitched great last night. bullpen came in and finished up strong. They look like a softball team. Um, I sent my son a text and said, this looks like a softball game. Well, one team looked like a softball team. And, my gosh, um, two Two things I want to say about the Phillies. Number one, Bryce Harper, he's worth the contract. Yeah. Oh yeah. In comparison, I'm not saying anybody's worth 30 million a year to play baseball. I'm just saying in comparison with other players with big contracts, he shows up, and he's intense. And I do think that, um, uh, uh, gosh, uh, McCullers. I do think that he was tipping his pitches last night. And I think that's what uh Harper told uh, um Bohm. Yeah, I think that's what he told him. You know, look for this. You know, he's tipping his pitches. And then Bohm hit that out. So you, you got a guy who's not just a great player who's intense, but he's he's pretty much a coach on the team that the younger players look up to. Second thing I want to say is. Golly gee, I have always been amazed at Schwarber's power. When he he never hits a cheap home run, they're always going. I think they're going to land on another planet, and uh, they just really made Houston look bad. Uh, Nola had a bad start, and he's starting tonight, so I'm I'm hoping he rebounds with the crowd behind him. And I would like to see this series go seven games. Oh, that would be great. If the Phillies win tonight, it's going to be very difficult to bounce back uh, from a three to one deficit when you still got one more game without crowd. So I'm enjoying the world series. I am too. And I'm, I'm jumping on the Phillies bandwagon <laughs> because I crapped on to begin with, and I feel like I owe it to them. Um, but I I do want to see Dusty get it, but ah, I'm, I'm I gotta pull for the Phillies, isn't
1: it? Something 162 games, the Phillies up and down, inconsistent moments of good, greatness. You could see it, their team had what it took, but they just were it's so inconsistent up and down. Then they hit the playoffs, just that big win against the Cardinals, and they that game won, and now they've been rolling through. Atlanta San Diego and uh, Houston was good all year and it's it's odd that the Phillies just somehow went into another stratosphere during the playoffs yeah uh, it's it's exciting it's a great story and Bryce Harper is uh you know cementing himself as a legend of the game now he's had a great career some up and downs too but this is one of those moments that uh oh in Philadelphia they're building a statue of him outside that stadium now Right next to Rocky. Right next to Rocky.
0: (laughs) Well, JJ, you alluded to it. We're going to highlight two World Series, one from each team. You had a lot to pick from. I didn't. So this may be the last time we can really do this segment. (laughs) But it is World Series time. So you're going to talk about the 64 World Series. Let us know what happened.
1: Oh the 64 World Series this was a great moment this was a a turning point in baseball there's two books i recommend about the 1964 season uh back in the 90s there was a book by David Haberstein he's a pulled surprise winning author uh, October of 64 and that's a great book and it uh it's more like the uh the symbolism of the the season and the changing of the game and then uh Ronja who used to be a uh uh sports uh, anchor on Channel 5 out of St. Louis has a more of a picture book um, called uh, 64 Cardinals. And I recommend both of those books uh, quite a bit. Um, Is Jacober still with us? I believe so. I, he wrote, this book came out a few years, like a couple of years ago. As far as I know, in, in uh, 2020, he was still with us. The last two years, I, I can't vouch for it.
0: I used to manage a pest control company in the 90s, and we did houses out in Chesterfield, the nice areas. And so I got to do a lot of the uh, termite inspections and jobs with uh, athletes and people of that ilk. The neatest house I've ever been in is Ron Cobers. His basement was a museum, pristine. And here I am looking for signs of termites in what I feel like is the Louvre. I'm like, my gosh, I don't want it. But anyway, go ahead. Oh,
1: no, that that's cool. I would have loved to see that. Um, but 64, the reason I mentioned that is this is really the end of the Yankee dynasty from 1921 to 1964. And I'll go over some of the stats in a minute because I know we're just supposed to be talking about the World Series, but I want to kind of set the table. In 1964, these were kind of some of the things going on. <laughs> February 9th, one of my, the most important days of my time was uh, the five biggest words ever spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. So the Beatles come to the United States in, in February 9th. Spring training starts right after that. Uh, shows that came on TV that year, Gilligan's Island, Jeopardy, Adam's Family, Bewitched. Kind of setting the mood there. If you see old photographs of the 64 season, you'll see people in uh, suits They got white shirts with black ties. The women had, uh, you know, uh, hats on. It was kind of a special time. The players, um, so I have some stats here. Um, Let's see. uh, In in 63, the Cardinals finished second place. They were nine, and back then there was no divisions. It was just the National League, American League, 10 teams. Um, The Cardinals finished second in 1963. They were 93 and 69. And they lost the division to the Dodgers who went on to beat the Yankees in the world series that year, but it was the last year, Stan, the man usual. And uh, you know, he was with us from 41 to 63 and he missed two years for world war II. So I was saying goodbye to a great player, but 1960 and in 1963, the Cardinals had the all-star infield, Bill White, Julian Javier, Dick Grote, Kenny Boyer. I don't ever remember another time when the whole infield was the same team. So they were coming back for 1964. And um, so here's some of the stats on the Yankee dynasty um, from 21 to 63. And, you know, we can appreciate this Vince, because you're a Cub fan and I'm a Cardinal fan. And these Cut Yankee fans are saying, like you said, a couple of weeks ago, we deserve more than this. You know, it's our, yeah. You know, and I'm like, "What? And you said the same thing. They were in 29 World Series in those um 43 years and they won 20 and lost nine. But still they were in 29 World Series. Unbelievable. Unbelievable and going in and if you really want to get, and so that's Ruth to Mantle. Ruth to Mantle right there with all these great players and they had a kind of a system and an organization there. But uh, from 47 to 64, they were in 15 World Series and was 10 and 5. And going into that season, they had been in the last four World Series as won one, two, and lost two. They had went through. So in 60, now we're going to 1964. Yogi Berra is their manager. And uh, uh, four years ago, it was uh, the end of the Casey Stingle era. Ralph Honk had a couple of years where he managed him. He managed around in baseball, too. So a lot of old timers know that name, Ralph Honk, and then Yogi Berra. So they had three Hall of Famers on their team: Yogi Berra, Mickey Mantle, and Whitey Ford, and we had two future Hall of Famers on our team: Lou Brock and Bob Gibson. And uh, they show you like uh, how the baseball at the time. The Cardinals' average attendance that year was fourteen thousand one hundred fifteen people, you know. But the Yankees, the biggest city in the you know in the country, their fans they only had sixteen thousand one hundred nineteen per game. And I threw the Cubs in there for you, Vince: nine thousand two hundred eighty. So, you know, uh, that's kind of, that was just how the games were going on that year. And the Cardinals, I'm going to name some of these names. And this was basically our starting lineup that year. It was, uh, Tim McCarver, great analyst and also known as Steve Carlton's personal catcher. Great player. Uh, he hit 288 that year. Uh, but he only hit nine home runs, but a great catcher, Bill White, future national league, uh, president president yes yeah bill white julian javier dick groat who we got from pittsburgh and played three years with the cardinals uh kenny boyer who uh, maybe one day might be in the hall of fame i don't know he might be like that borderline guy but dar- gosh darn it and he was the mvp that year and uh he hit 295 with 24 home runs and 119 rbis that year so kenny Boyer and played top-notch defense uh, our outfield that year was Brock flood and, uh, Mike Shannon. And so, and our pitching staff, here's some names too. And of course, Mike Shannon, all Cardinal fans know the old Irish Mike Shannon from broadcasting days, but he was a great player too. And he was from the St. Louis area. We had Gibson, Roger Craig, who later was a manager, uh, Mike Quayar, who was a, a famous pitcher with the Orioles when they all had four 20 game winners, which I don't know if we'll ever see that again. Kurt Simmons was another great pitcher, and um, on our bench, we had Johnny Lewis, who later was a hitting coach, and the incredible Bob Uecker. The Euch was a part of that team, and our reliever was Barney Schultz, who threw a knuckleball, and of course, they said, hey, uh, Euchre, how do you catch the knuckleball? <laughs> he says, I just wait for it to stop rolling, and I walk over and pick it up, <laughs> so that was the Cardinal team right there, and uh, it was a really extraordinary year, and Hebelstein, uh, I'm sorry, Heberstam had made this analysis the yankees were this old school team veterans and uh they didn't just have uh to sustain that they didn't the young guys they brought up really didn't uh carry that torch they were good players but not great players but the cardinals were a young team and they were uh a lot of diversity on the team we had white players african americans and hispanic players um and that was it was kind of the change in times of that, I believe, because you know the Yankees they did have Elston Howard on their team, their catcher. But it was basically old white guys, and I think they hung on to their stars a little long. Um, some of their stars, um they had Jim Bouton, all four. Yeah. Remember Jim Bouton. Yeah. I like oh, yeah. going through these rosters because some of these, you know, like we talk about current times, most people still recollect the, the rosters. But uh, Bouton was on that team. Uh, Al Downey, who gave up Hank Aaron's 214th home run, was on that staff. Whitey Ford was still around. Mel Stodemeyer, who later became a pitching coach. And we had his son, Todd Stodemeyer, on the Cardinals for a while. And Ralph Terry. And then um, Cleet Boyer, Ken Boyer's brother. That's a nice storyline, brother versus brother. And uh, Tony Kubek, Joe Pepitone, Bobby Richardson, of course, Mantle. Roger Maris and Tom Tresh were on that team. So these were just star-studded teams. Now, the Yankees only won their division by one game. They beat the White Sox. And uh, they think, it, pretty much, they thought it was a birthright to be in the World Series, and it pretty much was up to that point. But the Cardinals, this was an incredible year. At one time, they were, I, I'm, I wrote down these dates and everything, and at one time, they were, I believe it was June 17th, the Cardinals were in eighth place, and they were 10 games out of first place. And, uh, you know, we're getting near the all-star game, and we're an eighth-place team. Nobody really thought we were going to make a big run at it. We brought up a kid from the, uh, from the minors named Mike Shannon, and he really played great defense, brought a lot of life to the team uh, in, in July. And the Phillies were running away with the division. They just looked like a powerhouse that year. July 24th, uh, we had moved up to seventh place, but Bill White started having some shoulder problems. And little by little, we st- at the trading deadline, Augie Bush said, we need some speed. We got to have somebody with some speed. And the Cardinals made it. A- <laughs> I know, I can see it on your face. The Cardinals made a six-player deal with the Cubs for Lou Brock. The- and I'm wearing the Brockabella in <laughs> honor of my fellow Arkansas and one of the greatest Cardinals, Lou Brock. And, you know, people say, well, Lou's defense was a little suspect.
0: All right, maybe. They but didn't make it an early Ernie Broglio umbrella, so I didn't wear one.
1: <laughs> no, but when we traded him, I did not know that the year before he was 18-8. and eight. Yeah, he was a good pitcher. He was good, but he went over to the Chicago. I don't know what happened. But he uh, didn't, he had like that season and two more, and it was just kind of a 500 pitcher. Not, he didn't really light it up. So uh, what a steal. And when Lou came over here, I have some stats on Lou. Lou hit an amazing, um, oh, where's he at? Lou, Lou hit, um, well, he, he was still in bases, but I had a stat on him and I can't find it now that he hit in the high 300s. And uh, he just was a catalyst for the team, him and Flood at the top of that lineup. And uh, good batting average, always on base, very daring. Of course, he always, he became the greatest base dealer of all time until Ricky Henderson broke his record. But the Cardinals just kind of set it up. August 23rd, we were 11 back and we had moved into fourth place. September 20th, we were tied for second place and we were six and a half games back. September 20th. The Phillies were so sure they were in the world series that they started selling world series tickets, September 20th. And Mike Shan said this on the last day of the season, there were, if everything worked out, there would have been a four-way tie for first place, but uh, the Phillies had fell to second place to the reds and the Cardinals. And they had to play the, the Phillies and the reds had to play each other. And we had the Mets who in 1964, the Mets weren't that good. We ended up winning the division by a single game. And now it's the World Series time, and I I won't take a whole lot time with this, but this World Series made Lou uh, made Bob Gibson a legend, and I I he pitched Game Two. Now down the stretch, he was pitching on three days rest, coming out of the bullpen. Uh In recent days, I've seen CC Sabathia did that, I think, with the Brewers. Yes, and, and Randy Johnson did that with the Astros. They had him for one year. Nate just ran him into the ground and he got him there. He got him to the promised land The Cardinals did that with uh, Gibson. And I saw an interview with him and he said, he said, Oh, I was hurting every day. But he said, I couldn't let down my teammates. And he went out there and he rock, he rock and rolled. So he cut now they used him in the last game of the season to get to the world series. He pitches game two on like three days rest and goes eight innings, but the Cardinals lose. Let me find those stats real quick. I had wrote, written that down. So in game two, we lose eight to three, but it's a real close game, but he goes eight innings and then the Yankees tear us up in the ninth and win the game eight to three, but he went eight innings. He comes back and pitches game five. So there's game three, a day off game four. So he's on three days rest and he pitches a uh, a 10 inning. He pitches five to two. We win the game in 10 innings. He only had two walks and 13 strikeouts, a 10 inning complete game. Well, we go to game seven. Bob, we need you. Bob goes back out there on two days rest. Well, yeah, on two days rest. And the Cardinals win seven to five, and he goes nine innings and gets the win. And uh, uh, Bob, uh, Tim McCarver said there's a stat that he was told about the last 90 innings of the season, World Series and down the stretch, Bob Gibson threw 39 innings of the uh of the last 90 innings the he threw 39 of them wow and and any his last game was a complete game there's only one other guy in the history of baseball who has that stat now this was i heard this about five years ago and i don't think anybody's broke that record since or tied it the other player was dizzy dean of the cardinals in 1934 so hmm. anyway anyway how about that so that's my year 1964 watch the games uh it's just a, uh, the fundamentals, Dick Grote, great shortstop. Uh, Kurt Flood, an incredible center fielder who later kind of sacrificed the end of his career for free agency. And that's also yeah. another story we'll have to tell another day because that's I can't get into that just for a short time. But Kurt Flood, a big part of Major League Baseball. Um, Kurt Simmons, Bill White. Uh, I could go on and on. And the, and Mike Shannon had a short career. But in 63, or 64, he was a big part of that us getting over the hump. And after that, the, the, the Yankees did not see the World Series until 1976, and when they lost to the Reds, but then won in '77, 78, went back in '81. So I really think the, the, the Yankees have had five like dynasty years, uh, periods in their time. But I'm not crying for the Yankees. We beat them that year, and I'm pretty proud of that. So 1964, I hope I did it justice. And if you can, read the Haverstein book and the Ron Jacober book. You'll get a lot of great pictures. Bob Gibson was the MVP. Kenny Boyer was MVP of the season, Bob Gibson of the World Series. And there's a picture of him leaning over the car that he won that they gave away for being the MVP of the World
0: Series. So anyway, that's 1964 World Series. Nice. Well, I could have picked... The 2016 Cubs or the 2016 Cubs. So I chose the 2016 Cubs. I'll set the stage with this 2015. We had gotten Lester in free agency, which was a big coup because he was the top pitcher. We did not look like we were ready to contend. Everybody knew that we had talent in the minor leagues. That was well known in baseball and what Theo Epstein did was he sold Lester and they'd worked together in Boston but he sold Lester on Chicago by creating a video of of Lester winning the World Series pitching for the World Series and winning the World Series for the Cubs i don't know how he did the video but you know Theo's got the money to do it so Lester comes in 2015 we are a better team in 2015 we are about 500 and at the end of July in 2015, we were no hit by Cole Hamels. So after that, we went 46 and 20 and we almost caught a very good Cardinals team for the division. We made the playoffs as a wild card team. That first wild card game against Pittsburgh, the only wild card game at that time, uh, Jake Arrieta actually tortured the Pittsburgh fans, saying, "You know, you, it ends right here." You know, and <laughs> you just don't see that on social media for baseball <laughs> players. And then he went out, and backed it up, and shut out Pittsburgh. And then we beat the Cardinals in the playoffs. And for for people like me who are Cub fans living in St. Louis, that was probably a little sweeter than winning the World Series. Mm. So then we uh, we ran into the we ran into the Mets in the uh, National League Championship Series, and it was apparent we just did not have the hitters that could put contact on a ball when there was all that heat. Because the Mets at that time had Syndergaard when he was Syndergaard, they had a, a Harvey when he was pitching great. Um, they had a young DeGrom. They were throwing BBs, and they just Beat us four games to nothing, and we didn't have a shot. So we knew we had some work in the offseason, but we knew we were very, very close. So what we did in the offseason on December 4th, we signed John Lackey from he was playing for the Cardinals. We signed him to be fourth, fifth starter, which proved to be beneficial to us because he could eat up innings. He was not the all-star anymore, but he fit the role perfect. December 8th, this really marked a shift in where the team was heading. We sent Sterling Castro to the New York Yankees. That was important because Castro was supposed to be a building block in the, in the early 2010s. And he was an all-star. He was our all-star. And now we're to a point where we're saying, okay, we can get rid of you because we've got better talent coming up than you. December 9th, we signed Ben Zobrist, and this is going to really help because Ben Zobrist puts the bat on the ball, no matter who's pitching. And he had just come from winning a world championship when the Royals played the uh, Mets, and he hit well in that World Series against that Mets staff, so we said, we need you here. So we signed him as a free agent. Uh, Then we signed former St. Louis Cardinal outfielder Jason Hayward, and it always fascinates me how short-term memory some people have they say oh you guys got ripped off you know we were smart we didn't sign Hayward the Cardinals offered Hayward more money than the Cubs did he wanted to come to the Cubs because when they beat the Cardinals in the playoffs and this is just a different philosophy from the Cardinals and the Cubs the Cardinals are a very business-like team I mean they it's it's we have our way, it's business-like. You don't see a whole lot of fun going on in Cardinal land with the players. Hayward would sit there and he's watching these young Cub players having a blast in the playoffs from the other dugout. That was a catalyst in him wanting to come to the Cubs. So I don't fault Hayward. I I, I don't say we got ripped off because he he was the outfielder that was the free agent for that year, and he just chose us. On the 26th, we re-signed Dexter Fowler to a one-year, $8 million contract. News had got out that he had accepted three years for $33 million with Baltimore, and then suddenly the next day he walks into spring training with the Cubs. Even the Cubs players had no idea. So he was a big part of our team in 2015. We have him back for 2016. April 7th, the second game of the season. Kyle Schwarber t- tears his AL, ALCU, ACL, and he's out for the season. So it looks like, oh gosh, here we go. You know, our, our stud last year rookie played a half a year and knocked 16 home runs. He's out for the season. June 17th, we call up a catcher named Wilson Contreras, future St. Louis Cardinal in my book. So through June, we were the best team in baseball. We were twenty. We are fifty-two and twenty-seven. We needed bullpen help. On July twentieth, we traded for Mike Montgomery from from the uh, um, Mariners, and Mike Montgomery is going to come into play here when I finish this up. On July twenty-fifth, we trade Glaber Torres, uh, who was one of our minor league players, great player at the time uh, for the minor leagues, and he's been pretty good for the Yankees. We trade him for Aroldis Chapman. So suddenly our bullpen, we've got the best closer at the time at the back end of our bullpen. So we make the postseason. We won 103 games. We only lost 58. We defeated the Giants in the Division Series three games to one. In game four, we were down 5-1 to one going into the top of the ninth. This is just... uh way this team was, even though we were down five to one in San Francisco at the top of the ninth, we score five runs and we win that, win that series and we don't have to come back and play that game five in Chicago. Then we played the Dodgers National League Championship Series and we win game one on a pinch hit grand slam in the eighth by Miguel Montero. That year we actually carried three catchers on our roster. We carried Contreras for a half a year, Montero and David Ross. Game two, we have a one nothing loss to the Dodgers pitching matchup between Kershaw and Hendricks, and uh the only thing that Hendricks made a mistake on is he gave the home run to Adrian Gonzalez. Dodgers win one to nothing <clears throat> so the the series goes to game six, and Game six, we have a rematch of Hendricks versus Kershaw, and Hendricks shuts out Kershaw five to nothing, so we're going to the World Series. This is how important going to the World Series was. When the Cubs won the game, I went out and got champagne. I didn't do that after they won the World Series, but just getting to the World Series for us was, was, was good enough. So game one, we are feeling pretty good. We got Lester going. Um, we're going to Cleveland, and we cannot hit Corey Kluger. and they hit Lester pretty good. They won 6-0. Game two, we win five to one. So we did what we needed to do. Take one game in, in Cleveland, and uh, Arietta defeated uh, Trevor Bauer. Game three, we lost one to nothing. Mike Tomlin uh, defeated Hendricks. Hendricks scored uh, pitch great again. The Indians scored their only run in the seventh. One nothing. We're down two to one. Game four, we lose seven to two. Kluber defeats Lackey, and so we're down three to one. We got one more game in Chicago. And it's not looking good for us. I'm almost like, okay, if we lose this, I'm okay. We made it to the World Series. <laughs> game Game five, we win three to three to two. Lester defeated Bauer, and we scored all of our runs in the fourth on a Brian home run. Game six of the World Series, we're back in Cleveland. We won nine to three. Uh, Behind Arietta, we had home runs by Bryant, Uh, Addison Russell hit a grand slam, Rizzo homered. Um, Chapman, who had pitched Game Four or uh, Game Five, was brought in in Game Six in the seventh inning. So Chapman is has been pitching two games in a row, and he's pitching more than he's ever pitched before in his life. Game Seven, we are up five to one, and we're. We have home runs by Fowler let off the game with a home run. Bias hits a home run. And in the fifth, Lester's cruising. We're up five to one, and he walks Santana with two outs. And for reasons that, that Madden has, and he's just put out a book, and he explains those reasons, and I still don't agree with him, he said, nope, I'm bringing in Lester now. So he brought in Lester. And Lester, and when you're not used to coming out of the bullpen, sometimes it can be a little difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lester comes in. We have an error by Ross and a wild pitch. Uh next thing we know, uh Cleveland scored two runs. And uh it's now five to three. Ross in the sixth makes up for his error. He hits a home run, makes it six to three. And so with two outs in the eighth, we bring in a very tired Araldis Chapman. You know he was tired because he wasn't hitting 103, he was hitting 98. Mm. Five miles per hour makes a big difference, even big though difference. 98 is very hard. When you're used to a guy throwing 103 and it's coming out 98, the hitters get a little confident. So in the eighth, he gives up a three-run home run to Rajay Davis to tie the game. Mm. People do not remember this. In the ninth, The Cubs don't score. Chapman goes back out in the ninth, and he shuts Cleveland down. So it wasn't a complete disaster. In the ninth, he held up. It's 6-6. to The rain's come. Vinci goes to bed because he's upset. And (laughs) and, uh, we've talked about that already. And during the rain delay, Hayward called a players-only meeting in the weight room. And he basically told them, you guys are so good. And I mean, he he was telling the young kids because that's all we had, basically. You guys are so good. The hitters are so good. Just go out there and be yourselves and we're going to win this thing. So the rain stopped. Vincey gets out of bed because his wife says, well, the rain didn't last that long. So I get out of bed. And Schwarber who did not come back to the Cubs until the World Series. He played one game in the Arizona Fall League when they put him on the World Series roster. He had a great World Series. He could only DH. He leads off the 10th with a hit. And so we bring in Albert Almora Jr. as a pinch runner. The next hitter is Bryant, and he hits a deep fly ball to center field, and it's caught. Almora... Usually a player on, sec, on first base is going to go halfway to second. Ball is caught. He's going to trot back to first. Almora knew the way he's running after the ball. If he catches it and I'm on first, I can tag up and make it to second. And that's what he did. I watch a lot of baseball. I almost never see a player tag up from first to go to second. Almora did that. And um, it was a tremendous uh, moment. Just just one of those little things that's overlooked, but so smart, so intelligent. So Rizzo walks, and that brings up Zobris. And Zobris responds by doubling down the left field line off Brian Shaw, and that scores Almora. Shaw then intentionally walks Addison Russell to load the bases. Miguel Montero comes up, and he gets a hit. So we score another run, so it's 8-6. to Bottom of the 10th, we bring in Carl Edwards, Jr., he gets the first two outs with no problem. And I'm thinking, okay, we got it. And then he walks, I think he walked two hitters and um, um, they scored a run on a hit. So with two outs, they are down to their last hitter, which was, uh, gosh, and the guy's name is escaping me now and I didn't put it in my notes. I remember but anyway, it's eight to seven. And Edwards apparently just didn't have it internally to finish this game off. Carl Edwards Jr. had nasty stuff. But he was a setup guy. He was your sixth, seventh inning guy. He was not a closer. We don't have a closer anymore. So what do we do? We bring in this left-hander that we would gotten named Mike Montgomery, who never had much of a career. He was a tweener. He would be a spot starter. He'd be a reliever. We bring him in to close this game out, so he throws a curveball, and the player hits hits a little brown ball to Bryant, and Bryant goes to throw to Rizzo, and he slips, and I yelled profanity before the ball got to Rizzo. There was a few words (laughs) to say. (laughs) <laughs> and instead of the ball going into the stands like I thought it would, it went right to Rizzo's face. He catches it and we win. What people, I guess, don't understand, and I, I may have talked about this before. My grandfather died at 95 and never saw the Cubs win a World Series. My father was, I think, 75 at the time before he saw the Cubs win a World Series. I was 50 when i saw the cubs win a world series we had people fans visiting graves leaving cardinal paraphernalia or cub paraphernalia on on the graves of their loved ones who had never seen this the the sheer weight of it made it so impressive and when we had the parade in chicago they say that 5 million People showed up for that sucker, and I believe it. I know we should have had more cracks than that. We went to three straight uh division, uh, national league division championship series. We only won one, we only made it to one world series, and we won it. Um, and you see that those players are still having impact. Schwarber, Castellanos, who was a Cub, um, he's playing still playing uh, with the Phillies um Rizzo had a great series for the Yankees so we still had a, a a good team they were so young that it just got stale so fast I I can't put my finger on why the team okay. got stale and so by the time we did the big sell-off last year I was kind of ready for it I was like wow. These players seem to be going through the motions. There's, you know, it just felt weird. And so now I've got some excitement again as a Cub fan. And, you know, I believe in 2026, we are going to win this sucker again.
1: It'll be fun. I
0: really do think that we are going to win this thing again? But 2016 was a magical year. And uh, for those of you who who are not Cub fans and don't understand what we what we've been through is, a, is not just a fan base, but as an organization, and as a national laughing stock. It was so such a relief to finally get over that hump, finally win it, and finally just say we're the best there is.
1: I, I, I that was beautiful. I
0: I enjoyed every word
1: of that. I just had two little things I wanted to add. When you guys got Joe Madden to coach, I was like, uh oh, this is getting serious now. And then during the year, you picked up Chapman. Then were the moments I was like, "Uh oh, I know they're good, but now this 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 could happen." And um, I, you know, you noticed Bryant and Rizzo and Baez and all those guys, but I grew to love Zobrist because he played any position, he do whatever they asked of him, and I've always loved those utility guys because they're a big part of the team. They don't get all the headlines. Well the average fan wouldn't pay attention to uh, an Edmund or a, you know, a Donovan for us or a, a Zobris, but that guy was gold. And they used to, and my wife wanted the Cubs to win it. And I was like, what? Never. But when they won it, I was happy for the Cub fans, but I hate it for Cleveland. Cleveland's the other, the other team that never gets to win it. They used to have a thing in right field across the street, how many days it was since the last world series. And it got clicked back over to zero. You remember that they'd always say, uh, 14, "Oh yeah, thousand seven hundred eighty-five days since the last World Series." Well, now it's a few more. It's back up a little ways, but it's not like it was. And so they had to turn that over to zero. But what a year! That was great, two thousand
0: sixteen. Yeah, um, they deserved it. It was a good year. Well, JJ, tell everybody the movie that we are going to review today. We
1: are doing one of the, well, one of our favorite movies, The Bad News Bears, and we're doing the 1976 version, the 1976 version. Vince, you want me to go first or? That's fine. All right. I'm going to go and I'm just going to talk. I love stats. So I'm going to kind of do the stats and let Vince really hit the high points because uh, he's dressed in that apparel, the great uh, bear, the Bad News Bears jersey. In 1976, I did go to the theater and seen this. I seen it at the drive-in. They tried to remake this movie, and it didn't do anything with Billy Bob Thornton. I think the magic of this movie, uh, some of the stars, Walter Matthau, love Walter Matthau. Uh, It it only took nine million dollars to make this movie. Now, remember, this is 1976. Nine million dollars was a lot of money back then, but it made 42.3 million. It was a huge success. Uh, Tate O'Neill was in the movie and she was just coming off of um, Paper Moon which she won the Academy Award for and uh, oh it was Vic Morrow was the other coach I love Vic Morrow a very established uh, you know very good actor who's been in a lot of good movies and then you had this kid Vince you made allude to this the kids in the movie like nowadays they you know they can all sing show tunes and they have a a rap sheet of every commercial they've been in well the kids they put in this movie they were just regular kids and but they did have one other actor this uh jackie earl Haley. he was the guy the bad boy on the motorcycle and he was in several movies as well but uh basically it's just a redemption story um you know in the in the 70s movies were a little more gritty a little more real to life how people talked and it wasn't pretty before that everything was all Pollyanna and you know gosh gee and that kind of stuff and then the 70s everything got pretty dark and so it's basically about a guy down on his luck alcoholic pool cleaner ex-minor leaguer that he gets forced into coaching these kids that and I think we can all identify with this these are kids that uh you know they're not the star kids and um these other kid teams had great sponsors. Vince will get in that later. Nice uniforms. And these other kids were just the kids nobody else wanted. And they got Walter Matthau, care less to coach him. And it's a great story. It made me laugh in a lot of places. Um, I don't think it made me cringe at all. Uh, there was one scene that was very tearful where Tatum O'Neal, he got Tatum O'Neill to come onto the team because she was very talented. And everybody made fun of her because she was a girl, but she could pitch. And uh, she and and Walter Matthau had her mom and Walter Matthau had went out, and she wanted was hoping maybe they could get back together. And Walter Matthau basically threw beer in her face, yeah, <laughs> and said it'll never happen. Give it up. And she runs off and she's crying. And that's a very touching moment. So it had laughs. It was well written. I think Bert Lancaster's son wrote this movie. Uh, mm. I I read that somewhere and I love Burt Lancaster. Um, let's see. It spawned two more movies. As anytime Hollywood has any kind of success, there's always sequels. And of course, those movies didn't do anything. They didn't have Walter Matthau in them because I think he was the linchpin of that movie. Uh, his name was uh, Morris Buttermaker. And you always hear everybody go Buttermaker. And that's a great name for <laughs> an ex minor league. Alcoholic Pool Cleaner. That's a perfect name. Uh, Anyway, it's just about a bunch of misfits. And really, it's a redemption story because, of course, Walter Matthau eventually um, winning isn't everything. And the kids grow to love him. And he's kind of the king of the misfits. And he guides these kids to uh, a good season. Of course, he goes out and gets a couple of ringers, too. If you haven't seen the movie, I really recommend it. I think you'll like it. It may not be for kids. There's a lot of language in it. But it's a very good story and a good movie. And I think Walter Matthau did a great job in it. And I'm going to turn the rest of it over to Vince because I... This is one of his favorites, and he's got a, some really good takes on it. So
0: yeah. I have great memories because I was 10 years old, and me and my buddy Terry we went to go see it after a Little League game. We went to the theater in Roxana, Illinois, which I think a church owns that theater now, and we watched the Bad News Bears. The premise behind the movie is there is a wealthy um, – I think he's like politician type person. they never really get into what he does, but he has sued this very competitive league in today's world. It would be a traveling team type thing, but it's a very competitive league. He sues that his son could be on this can 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 play in this league, so they have to form a new team on the fly and so they get all these misfits who really don't belong in this league. If you'll notice, every other team is lily white, but the bears, they have Hispanic players. They have the only African American in the league. Um, They have a Jewish player. Um, And then they have the, uh, what what do you want to call him? uh lupus the the kid who snacks on his uh his nose candy oh, you know yeah. so uh i guess you'd call him a spaz or whatever you know yeah they're just not ready for this kind of competition and when i i whenever i was on literature class i took a lot of literature in high school and college and there's two things we 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 look for you know what's the story And what's the author trying to say? The Bad News Bears is a little bit deeper than just a movie about, you know, it's about class. It's about privilege. It's about the the people who you don't necessarily want to see in society. Some segments of society, they they want to turn their, their backs at these people. But they are forced to interact with the alcoholic pool cleaner the kids who other kids don't like they're forced to to interact with them and compete with them and what I love about the movie is that Walter Matthau is a great actor that's why the movie works Tatum Mm -hmm. O'Neill is a great actor that's why the movie works. Jackie Earl Haley who plays Mm -hmm. Kelly the motorcycle kid he's a legitimate actor uh, about 15 years ago he was actually nominated for an academy award so he's he's legit they do the bulk of the heavy lifting in vic morrow they do the bulk of the heavy lifting in this movie the kids though they just let them be bad actors but growing up in the 70s where i did in east stone where we were a little grittier um we used the bad language and we probably grew up a little bit faster than what we should have. It really resonated with me. And one of the uh things that I I that I really like is that when they tried to remake it with Billy Bob Thorpe, they had to sanitize it because it's just a different time frame. This movie is not sanitized. There are <laughs> racial slurs. There are um things that you just can't say today. And I'm not saying that that's right. We should go back to that, but it does. It just encapsulates a time in history that we're, most of us are past. So when I look back at it, you know, growing up, you know, kind of a lower class as far as my family was. Same here. But, um, I, I, we never had African-Americans in my school district. Uh, we never had, I never had Jewish people. Um, we had no Hispanics. Uh, we had a few Catholics, you know, but we were pretty much lily white. And so when I watched the movie as a kid, I thought, huh, I wonder if we would ever play a team that, you know, I didn't know the word them, but had set, had any kind of diversity, which we we. I didn't until I got to high school, start playing ball in high school. But it, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating movie. And one of the things I love about the movie is the soundtrack. It is classical music. And it works in this really movie. For some reason, you have the classical music working with this movie. And I just love the soundtrack to it. And at the end, when they're both competing, the Bears and the Yankees, and of course the Yankees are going to be the 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 bad guy, the antagonist. But both coaches, Buttermaker, and uh, oh gosh, what's the uh, Vic Morrow's character's name? But anyway, he's the manager of the Yankees. They are both spiraling down into into that winning is more important than anything and they're they're relaying that to their kids and both teams are getting kind of is you could see is this worth it is this what we're here for this is not fun this is this is it's almost a pissing contest between our two coaches you know and when the Vic Morrow character his son who's Played by Brandon Cruz, who used to be on the courtship of Eddie's father.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: When he comes out and he slaps his son for trying to hit Engelbert, you know, through at his head. And then Engelbert hits a little ground wreck, and the kid just holds the ball while Engelbert hits a little league home run because pitcher refuses to throw the ball. And then he takes the ball after the Bears score the runs. And he goes up to his father and just drops the baseball in front of him and leaves. If that was me as a father, I'd leave with my son. Hey, I really screwed up here. We need to talk. But this was the 70s. This was a little more machismo back then. He stayed with his team. Mom left with the son, but the coach stayed with his team. And that's when the Walter Matthau character, even through his alcoholism, realized, oh, my gosh, this is a kid's game and we're, we're, we're treating, he never comes out and says that, but you see it because he starts saying, okay, Lupus, you're going in. So-and-so you're going in. They're like, what are you putting these people in for? You know, even, even the parent of the, you know, who paid him to coach the team said, what do you put these kids in for? They can win. He's like, because everybody's going to play on my team. Then they almost win it. And of course they lose. And you know, it's, it's a great movie. It's a fun movie to watch, but it, it also has a lot to say about the, uh, Social commentary of the times that still spill over into today. So I I agree. If you haven't seen the Bad News Bears, go see it, and then get the uniform and wear it. Yeah, wear it out in public and wear it.
1: Chico proud. Chico Bell Bondsman. Chico's
0: Bell Bonds. Yeah, that was their sponsor. Yeah, the sponsor. there you go. There, there you go. All the good sponsors like Pizza Hut and Denny's were already taken. That's that's right. We had to do, so. Hey, let's open up some baseball cards you got it you got it
1: uh i'm doing the fleer 1990 baseball you were kind of you've been going old school so i thought what the heck i'll go old school too i remember when Flair came back out let me get this in here oh they've got a action series the atlanta braves emblem and there's some uh, trivia on the back it's too dark in here for me with this Umbrella. I can't read the statistics. So uh, that's that.
0: right before they made that incredible run. Yes, that's right. Because ninety-one, they went to the World Series. In nineteen ninety, they were a last place team.
1: So yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. Uh Hey, here's a name from the past: Padre second baseman Bip Roberts. Remember Bip? Yeah, Cincinnati Red player too. Uh Jamie Navarro, Brewers. Yeah. I love those Brewer hats, the MB with, you know, the it looks like a glove. Love that emblem they have. Uh, Steve Vendroja, Bedrock. Oh, yeah, I pitched for the Giants back then. How about that? That's what's so great about these cards. Oh, here you go. And I love this guy, he, a Chicago Cub. I love him. One of the greatest arms. Shortstop, Sean Dunstan. Sean Dunstan. That dude had an arm. Man, he gunned you out. Oh, Big man. I like this guy. Come off the bench a lot. Started a lot.
0: Played a lot. Rob Deere. Nice career. <laughs> nice career. He had a nice career. That, one, day, a one. one day, one I, day, I had a discussion once on a group with uh, uh, baseball fans. And I presented an argument that without steroids, Bart uh, McGuire was spiraling to be Rob Deere and i got crucified but i can break know. it down
1: I, I know i'm i'm with you i know well you know when you talk to a fan of a team sometimes they look through those fan eyes and they don't want to look at some of that you know but you're right oh i yeah i agree and, and rob Deere had a nice career a nice career uh here's a guy uh one of the nasty boys but he was with the mets then randy myers
0: randy myers former cub
1: Oh, see, I did not know that, uh, Vince. These cards—I don't know what happened. They're making them so small; I can't even read the backs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Corey Schneider. I remember when he came up; he was supposed to be the next big thing. And had yes. a nice career. Nice career, but uh, he was a good, good rookie player. year for the Indians. Guardians yeah. now. Uh, a play. Oh, now I like this guy. Had a n- great career. He's probably in for your uh your arch enemy the white Sox, <laughs> robin ventura no uh, and i always think of nolan ryan when i think of robin ventura <laughs> but he had so it's like the bill buckner through the legs there was so much more and but that's what you think of when you think of robin ventura or people of our age he's, he was an all-star
0: he's a good player yes frank de i sort of remember him that's yeah, like he's the Cardinal he, right there. Yeah. Yeah. He also pitched for the Astros, I believe. And um, I got one more here Todd Benzinger.
1: Okay. With the Reds. Yeah. With the Reds. Had a nice career. I'll be honest, before Paul O'Neill kind of went to New York, I kind of thought of him and Paul O'Neill in the same breath, kind of the same type of player. Uh, people probably thinking, oh, he you don't know what you're talking about, but they both came up similar times and i really for a while couldn't differentiate either either one of them but then when paul o'neill went to the yankees you know he made he became a legend then
0: yeah well i am going to open 1992 upper deck Ooh,
1: i love the upper decks nice pictures in those
0: if i can open these
1: well they had that uh I don't know. That harder stuff to rip, it doesn't tear.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a foil thing. Yeah. By gosh. Starting off with the Hall of Famer, Wade Boggs.
1: Love the chicken man, Wade Boggs.
0: You ever seen that uh, episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where they try to recreate Boggs drinking all the beer on the plane ride? I have seen that one. Yes, very good. Uh, I got two checklists here. Uh, Always disappointed when I would get a checklist. Oh, Kurt Miller. I don't know who he is. I don't either. (laughs) I'm going to
1: put him in the no-neck category.
0: Oh, Wilfredo Cordero had a pretty good uh, career with the uh, Expos. Oh, my gosh. I'd forgotten this guy existed. Seth Landrum with the Cubs. Barely came up for a cup of coffee.
1: Yeah, that that name escapes me.
0: Former Cardinal, Pat Borders.
1: Oh, yes, a Toronto Blue Jay.
0: Blue Jays, yeah. Uh, Well, look who I got. Bip Roberts.
1: Bip Roberts is everywhere.
0: It's the Bip Roberts day. Fast
1: man. He he was a fast player. Oh,
0: I love this player. Very gritty for the Cubs, Doug Desenzo. Yes. Uh, uh I can't believe this. Is it not Billy Hatcher? fielder with the chicken. With the chicken, Hall of Famer. The chicken, Yes. (laughs) <laughs> awesome! Oh, very good player uh, for the Twins, Kent Herbeck.
1: Oh yes, oh, hometown yes. Very hero, good player, very good player.
0: Uh oh, Pedro Guerrero.
1: Pedro Guerrero. The first game I went at Wrigley Field, the the Love Field bleachers just dogged him out the whole game.
0: <laughs> oh, ah. Darren Dalton all-star catcher for the Phillies who was married to a Hooters girl who was like the billboard Hooters girl. So
1: Darren Dalton,
0: much respect.
1: Hey, I'm his fan club.
0: (laughs) I swear we don't plan this. Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill right there.
1: Yes. Paul O'Neill.
0: Oh, and you brought this man up the other day, the Cobra, Mm. Dave Parker. With the Blue Jays oh,
1: love. It. I've had talked about him now three weeks in a row. We've mentioned Parker, yeah,
0: yeah. All right, well, we are in November. Next time that we broadcast, the World Series will be over. And right now, it looks like it is nothing to nothing in the middle of the third. Of course, most of you are going to watch this days later, you're going to say, <laughs> Yeah, we know, but anyway. Uh, J.J., you have a great week. You too, sir. I will try, and we will see you all next week. Thank you. Take care.